Today we're going to be looking at the crucifixion, as well as the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. As we're now during the time of Good Friday and Easter, we also know it as Passion Week, with the involvement of Palm Sunday. We look at this as an important event, the Holy of Holies in our New Testament in the Bible. And I must say that the power of the name of Jesus is like no other. And I say that because I I think of children that I have seen personally who have never even heard of his death or his resurrection smile just when they hear his name. Years ago when my son, my older son, was nine years old, who's 14 right now, my older son got to see the very end of the movie, The Passion of the Christ. My wife and I were leaving for the day, but I seen him sit down as he was being crucified. He was sitting down and watching it. And initially I was thinking, how was he going to take it? Because it wasn't something as a child that he was willing to want to see. And it was later on that afternoon that I got a text message from him. Asking that if he can actually give communion, speak to give communion at church that following Sunday at nine years old. He was moved by what he'd seen and felt compelled to go up at nine years old and to speak about what the Lord had done in the celebration of communion. And then I have my little one who is three years old. And before that, as he just turned three in November, even at the age of two, he has a picture in his bedroom of Jesus holding a baby. And he knows the name of Jesus. He points and says, Jesus. And he wants to go, he asks me to take him over there to to look at this picture. And I take him over there to the picture and he touches the face of Jesus on this picture. He just looks and smiles and he touches his face. He doesn't touch the baby, he touches the face of Jesus with a smile. I've never preached to him about what he did as a two-year-old. But he senses something in him and shows a love toward him. That that did not have to be preached by myself or anyone else. Which is the power in his name alone. Now as for why we each year speak about the death and resurrection of Christ. I'd like to think that it was exposed by by Peter in his epistle of 1 Peter 3.15. Always be ready to give an account for the hope that is in you. And that is why we, we repeat the scriptures of the, of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And that is the blessing of, of what we're going to do here today. See, I'm going to take some words from John the Baptist when he himself said that I must decrease and he must increase. John the Baptist said that when he was baptizing people in the water. And Christ Jesus was baptizing a much larger multitude of people. And the followers of John the Baptist kind of got bothered by that and said, why is, why is everybody over there when you were the Baptist? And John said it best. He says, this is a good thing. I must decrease, he must increase. That is why it's being done. Why? Because the gospel. Why must I un- by I decrease and he increase? Because the gospel is always more important than the one sharing it. 
No one can make the gospel or the word of God any more powerful than it already is. See, I questioned once to people about crosses that they wear as jewelry. Do you understand what that piece of jewelry is that you're wearing and why? Do you know what it is that you're wearing? See, in these days of Christ, the cross was an instrument of death. But by Him, it's become now a part of our family tree today. If He didn't do what He, what he did up there, our paths with Christ would never have crossed. Our paths together would not have crossed because of what He did. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to be reading a little bit of, of sections here out of John 19. And why John out of the four Gospels was is because John was a first-hand witness to it all. John, we're going to see through the lens of John because we didn't have cameras back in those days. There was no cameras. There was no photographs. So what we're seeing here is through the lens of John. And I've said before that that you can impress people from a distance, but you can only you can only impact them from up close. And that's what John was, impacted by Christ up close and personal. But how are we impacted by him and what he did? Are, are the events of Good Friday still impacting us or or does it just become another church event? You know, John chapter 19 spoke of the brutality of his time on the cross that he bore on that cross. A lot of people are aware of what he went through. In John chapter 19, it gave the details of the, of the beating, which I will briefly describe. But what it was is he took a beating like no other. He took the full 39 lashes from a whip, a leather whip that had attachments of, of lead balls on the, on the thongs, which had broken glass and shard bones on it. And it would actually rip the flesh of the victim. And each time, whenever somebody was what they would call scourged, whenever they were whipped, they would whip harder each time. And half of the time if not most of the time, according to ancient records, most people never survived a full flogging like that. As the Bible said that our Lord and Savior wasn't even recognizable as a man. Now, for those who might have seen the movie Passion of the Christ, it was done very well, but there is one thing that I could say, that the old saying that the book is always better than the movie. But you see, the actor that portrayed on there was still recognizable as a man where Christ was not. What is amazing was is what he was able to partake. The beating that he took. And yet he was still able to carry that cross up the hill of Calvary. Golgotha it was called, which, which is referred to as skull in, in the Hebrew. Able to carry this cross, most likely somewhere between 10 feet or better of solid wood, most likely cedar wood. You had to carry that up after the beating of a lifetime. He carried that up there and was able to be, to be nailed up there. As he took three nails, two to the hands and two and, and one in between two and, and the two, both of his feet. But you see, what's interesting is before all of this happened to him, 
as he knew what was coming, he faced emotional and mental stress, as the Bible said that he was actually sweating blood before his arrest. Before that, at the Last Supper, he washed the feet of his disciples, including the one who betrayed him, Judas Iscariot, and the one who even denied him being Peter. The things that he endured before the cross was agonizing, and, and to have faced betrayal from his friends and disciples. I want to read to you John chapter 19, verse 17 to 24. And it says, And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the Place of Skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they have, had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the, from the top in one piece. They said therefore among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Most of all, looking at what caused the impact of a lot of people was things done and said while he was nailed on the cross. You know, when the big picture of the crucifixion is done, it was, it was beyond just the pain of the scourging. He took every sin of the world upon himself who knew no sin. What he did was is he came to reach the lost at any cost. But you see, he had to take care of one more task. And I want to look at that from verse 25 to 30. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled it a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. While he was up there, the first thing that he did was to ask the Father to forgive them, as they do not know what they do. Yet the funny thing was Christ was up there for that very reason. While he was up there, a thief next to him who was mocking him on the cross realized who he was and said, Father, remember me when you enter in your kingdom. And Jesus said, Assuredly, you will be with me today in paradise. While he was up there, he gave charge to the apostle John to care for his mother as his time was up. 
And then last, while he was up there, he yelled out that it was finished because his tax his task was now complete. You know, it's amazing that a lot of people, a lot of people, I don't think realize who it was that they were that they were crucifying up there and the things that he had done. I mean, it's amazing that that the Lord Himself would take twelve men, ordinary men, and and would take them and use them for His purpose. He had Luke, who was a physician, a doctor amongst their amongst their midst, and yet he was able to witness the miracles of Christ that no that no physician can can do. This physician witnessed Christ give sight to the blind. He witnessed him cleanse lepers. He witnessed them bring the dead back to life. Then you had Philip who was the bean counter. Those days they were ancient accountants of the day. There was a time when 5,000 people were there to, to hear the words of Christ, but yet they were all hungry and there wasn't enough food to feed them as they had five loaves of bread and two fish. And yet, of course, he was the one counting all the heads. Philip was the one who was counting the heads and trying to discover what it was that they had. We cannot feed them. What did Christ do? He blessed the food, broke it up, and was able to feed 5,000 people. He was able to relate to the numbers and, and carry on what needed to be done. You had the fishermen, John and James and Peter, and it's interesting because whenever we heard about the guys in the Bible, they never really caught very much. <laughs> but it wasn't until Christ showed up on the scene that their catch was overabundant. See, our Lord and Savior, He didn't just come to earth to make bad people good. He came here to, make, to bring dead people to life. To bring the dead people to life into an eternity is what he came for. See, what's amazing about our Lord was that through that all, that even though, even after he was going to be gone from earth, he had plans. He had work to be done still. As he told his disciples that where I go, I go there to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions, which means many dwelling places in heaven. He says, I go there to prepare a place for you. Amazing. That yet, even after the fact of everything he's going through, he's going to prepare a place for all those that, that, that he is receiving and that receive him. You see, there's a lot of things out there that offer morals. There's, there's many religions and there's many people and things out there that offer morals and values. There's many organizations out there that offer people to be a part of something bigger than themselves. But not one of them can offer salvation. Eternal salvation, which is what Christ did. And that's why being a part of Him is being a, is being a part of something bigger than us. Bigger than anything. 
And then we have the, the other part of the Holy of Holies. The resurrection in John of chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then she ran and came to Simon, Peter, and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord of the tomb, and we do not know where they had laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooping down and looking and saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying there with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. See, Jesus predicted this, that three days later that he would come back. And that's exactly what happened. I find it interesting that this stone, which probably most likely would have taken close to ten guys, or maybe somewhere around that number, would, would have had to have rolled the stone away. And yet the, the, the linen and the cloths, everything that was wrapped in the, by the body of Jesus was lying there. And yet he folded up the handkerchief and put it on the, on the, on the side of where his head was most likely resting. You know, it's interesting. In the Jewish culture, to my understanding, what, it, what they do in their, uh, in their table settings is that a lot of times when the, when the master of the house is eating and the servant is, is taking care of, of the table after the fact, when the master gets up and he leaves the table for a period of time, and if he sees the napkin that he uses to wipe his beard or his face with, if he sees it just laying there, then, then that's an indication that the table was ready to be cleared. But when he folded that napkin, and when he left it there, he was making it known that nothing was to be touched because he was returning. And I wonder if that's what Christ was doing. What our Lord and Savior was doing when he knew that they would probably see this open tomb and that he would be coming back. They would be coming to look for him. He wanted to leave a sign that I told you I'd be coming back. So for three days, for three days, it said that he was down in Hades preaching and he was releasing the captives that were down there in, in Abraham's bosom it was called. Releasing, the, releasing those into the heavenly realm. So for the three days, that's what he was doing. And in verse 11, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she had wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. 
And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had fallen. And then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was him, that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. She was the first one to see the Lord. Mary Magdalene was somebody that the Lord, according to the other scriptures in the gospel, encountered because she was possessed with seven demons. And Jesus had shown up and had cast out these demons. After the fact, Mary Magdalene became one of his most devoted followers. I can see why women, why, why it would be a woman that he came to first because of the compassion that women normally show. I mean, after all, we look at the disciples who, they ran to the tomb, yes. You know, and then you have Peter who kind of peeked inside and he's like, yep, sure enough, he's not in there. And then they went back to their homes. But yet we have Mary Magdalene who shows up to the tomb before the sunrise. And she encounters our Lord and mistakes him to be the gardener, which shows that he was, he, that God, when he was come down, he came down in, in human and humble form. And what is interesting is that she thought the body was moved and was willing to carry his body back to where it belonged. But you see, Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene showed great passion and a devout following. That she would be willing to... to to even to touch the body that was that was basically crucified and to dress and, and, and to rewrap and whatever that needed to be done. There was a great devotion, a great following there. Why wouldn't it be her that he showed up to to show first? You know, God God does some special things for people. I look at the devotion of, of what she showed. And I think to myself, man, if we could only show that much devotion that she showed towards our Lord and Savior. When I look at Good Friday, when I look at Easter, I think to myself that the only begotten Son is becoming more and more the only forgotten Son. Because of the commercialized aspect of these, of these glorious holidays. The birth, the death, the resurrection, the Holy of Holies in our New Testament. But you see, our Lord and Savior, not only has He risen, but He's coming back. 
Why? Because he said so. Mary Magdalene wasn't even affected by the presence of these angels in her presence. She only wanted to know and care more about where her Lord and Savior's body was. Anybody else that had an encounter with an angel normally showed fear or much reverence to them. But no, not her. She showed, she showed no emotion towards these angels. And then I want to read a little more in verse 19 as it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, that Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they had saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had, had said this, he, bre- he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So Jesus showed up and he breathed on them. And he said, Receive, I give you the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting that the Greek word and the Hebrew word for spirit means breath, wind. Ruah in the Hebrew and pneuma in the the Greek for uh, spirit is breath and wind. And Jesus blew on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, it won't be till another 40 days that they're going to actually receive the Holy Spirit in its presence on Pentecost. But right then and there, he presented it to them when he had come back. I made this message simple, to combine the two. There is such a deep meaning, but I wanted to make sure that the simple aspects of these two events that chain-linked into one another, where glory meets glory, were both seen and heard from his word and from the message being spoke. Our Lord and Savior is everything. It should be everything to us. You see, the greatest ethic that, that God could have given to mankind is the ethic of love. And there's no greater love than what was done on that cross. You see, he said three last words up there, it is finished. But those three words met up with the three nails which indicated three more words which says, I love you. He died for our sins. He rose again to show who he was. And he came back for 40 more days to spend with his apostles. He had more work to do. And he's going to come back again. I want to make sure that the Lord has been spoken about in the best as possible. Unfortunately, I could never truly give him justice. 
No one can make the Word of God any more powerful than it already is. And as I've said before, the Gospel is always more important than whoever's sharing it. Many have shared it for 2,000 years. And they've come and gone because their work has been done. But the Gospel and the Word of God continues to live forever. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins and for my sins. He did it because He wanted to to be with us in, in eternity. He wanted, to, he wanted to be with us. And I, that I never could understand being as bad as we are in our world. But yet He sees something special in the people that He died for. I want to make sure that I made sure that something special is being seen in him through his word and because of what he's done. So if you want to receive the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is one way to do so, and that is through a prayer of repentance. And if you want to receive the Lord as your Lord and Savior, to receive that salvation, repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me of all of my sins. I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. And I ask, Lord, for you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins and to receive me, Lord, into your kingdom. Lord, I love you. And I praise you, Lord, as I receive you, Lord, as my Father. And Lord, I just continue, Lord, to pray that you will work in my life, Lord. As, Lord, as I have received you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, receiving the Lord as your Lord and Savior, Jesus is your Lord and Savior, is the greatest thing you will ever do is you have set yourself in a place of eternity with our Lord. Now, I remember what in the book of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul spoke to the Corinthian people who said that, that after all of these years as I've been with you preaching about Christ, he said, that I, he said I'm astonished that that you are still like children, like babes, still drinking from a milk bottle when you should be eating solid food. Well, if there's something that I could gather from what he said, and, and if there is a difference that I could sh- uh, see from those who are drinking the milk compared to those who are eating the solid food, the ones who are drinking from the milk bottle can tell you about what Christ did. But the ones who are, who are eating the solid food are telling you what he's doing to this day. So, where do you want to stand? May our Lord and Savior be with you always. And I pray that you will just continue to be blessed by his Holy Spirit. May God bless and keep you.